2 Kings chapter 6, it starts out with a miraculous miracle for very simplistic uh, desires. Uh, some men are working one day and uh, an axe head falls off and it sinks into the water. And the man of God, Elisha, comes strolling by and through a few acts of obedience, the axe head floats and uh, everybody's happy. They go about their business. Then uh, there's a man by the name of Benedad that's trying to come upon an army. And every time he plots a scheme, uh, it's thwarted and he's, he's confused. Matter of fact, Scripture says he stands in front of his people and says, Who here is for the king of Israel? Because every time we try to do something, they're already one step ahead of us. Not just once, not just twice, every time we do it. Somebody spoke up and said, well, it's none of us that are for the king of Israel, but they got a guy on their side by the name of Elisha. And Elisha talks with God. And Elisha knows the steps that we're going to take. So this guy says, well, in that case, let's go get Elisha. So they surround Elisha. You know, you think you'd take a hint there if he can see every other step that you've taken. Then the story, the very famous story that we've preached from so many times, uh, Elisha's sleeping and a servant wakes up and he comes running in. He says, hey, we're in trouble. We're surrounded. The enemy's around us right now. That was Benadad and his army trying to shut the mouth of the man of God. And then Elisha spoke those words, those famous words, fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And then he prayed the prayer, open his eyes, God, that he might see who's on our side and who's against us. And once the Lord did that, there was peace in the situation. There was comfort found again. This is all in the same chapter right here. Elisha takes these men on a little journey. The next story on 2 Kings chapter 6 unfolds out that Benadad gets up one day and he decides to lay siege against Samaria. He cuts off their water supply and he cuts off their food supply. And he surrounds them where they can't go in or out. They can't do anything. They're completely cut off. And as resources begin to lower, the cost of goods begin to get a little higher. The scripture records that a donkey head was selling for 80 pieces of silver that a cab of dove's dung was five pieces of silver the king of israel is looking around and things are getting really rough right now resources are diminishing morale is diminishing confusion is set in are we not the people of god do we not have Elisha on our side? Can't he talk to God on our behalf? Things are getting real frustrating. This is, this is how low things got. Scripture says that the king of Israel was walking one day and a woman cries out and says, Hey, I need help. And he says, What can I do for you? Look at the situation that we're in. But nonetheless, I'll listen to your complaint. She says, Well, yesterday I was sitting with a friend and that friend came up with an idea that we would boil my child and eat my child so we could live. And today we would boil her child and eat her child so we could live. Well, I held my end of the bargain up. We sacrificed my baby. We boiled her and we ate her. And now I'm looking for my friend and I can't find her or her child anywhere. That's how 
bad the situation was. The king was disgusted. He was angered. He was upset. He was so mad that he said, this is God's fault. And I'm going to find Elisha. And Elisha's head's not going to be attached to his shoulders at the end of this day. The king walks out and begins to search for Elisha. The word of the Lord comes to Elisha. He's prepared that this king is headed his direction. When he knocks on his door, he answers the door and begins to have conversation. And the king, paraphrasing, says, hey, I'm not going to put up with this any longer. Why don't you look at the situation around us? Everything's through the roof. We can't feed our babies any longer. We are losing our mind. We have no more resources. We are without hope. We are without faith. We've lost everything. That great nation that we stand on the promise of that great people that we serve a great God where is this great God where is the miracles where are the signs where are the wonders where is this God that we serve Elisha looked at him and he said tomorrow at this time in 24 hours in 24 hours A measure of fine flour will go for one shekel. And two measures of barley will go for one shekel. Do you understand that is a drastic turnaround? That is a 24-hour turnaround. They have nothing in their cabinets. Their grocery stores are completely empty right now. They have zero to draw from. And the man of God looks at him and says, This time tomorrow, a 24-hour period, you're going to be walking in so many resources that you're going to be giving them away. That you're not even going to have to sell them. They're going to be almost valueless because you have so much of them. Scripture says there was a man, a Lord, whose hand the king leaned on. An advisor of the king. Someone that the king trusted. Someone that the king turned to. Someone that the king looked up to. He was in the king's ear. He had access to the throne room that the king sat on. And this individual spoke up and said, if windows were made in heaven, would this even be possible? If God opened the windows of heaven and shook heaven and emptied heaven, could that even be possible what you're talking about right now? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it absolutely crazy? Isn't it crazy? The people that we'll let in our lives, that we'll give ear to, that we'll give time to, and their sole purpose is nothing more than to talk us out of the promise that God had given us. Why wouldn't he believe Elisha? Everything the man of God had said up to that point had come to pass. Everything that he said, because he wasn't speaking on his own behalf. He was speaking on the behalf of God Almighty. So when he spoke this promise into existence, why in the world would they let him take that from him? We do it over and over all the time. We get up and preach restoration and you think it can happen for their kid, but not your kid. And we get up and preach deliverance and you think it can happen for their kid but not your kid. And we get up and preach ministries and callings and anointings and giftings and you think it can happen just not for you. That's just not for you because there's somebody in your life 
saying, I don't know if heaven's got enough resources. I don't know if heaven is able to do that. I don't know if heaven's capable of doing that. I don't know if God possesses enough power in all the heaven. I don't know if his throne room is big enough. His dominion, does his arm reach to the situation that I'm in right now? And because the king of Israel took heed to the voice of this advisor, the man of God looked at him. And he said something that's it's absolutely it's stirring to me that I pray to God I never get there. I pray to God this church never get there. I pray that your walk never get there. He looked at him and he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. He said, you're going to see that God can do this, but you're not going to be able to partake. In God doing this. How dangerous. How devastating. It would be for someone to speak. That over your life. You question the authority and the power. And the dominion of God. Well you're going to be able to see. This come to pass. But you're not going to be able to taste. Of this. We're so visual today. Everything is, everything is absolutely so visual. Because we live in a marketing world, the church tries to up their game. We try to do things to, to look enticing. So when people walk in, things catch their eye. And we, we want their attention because people are absolutely so visual today. That's why, that's why you never see broken marriages on the commercial for alcohol and beer. And you, you never see divorces and child support payments. And you never see DUIs. And you never see time in prison because that, that, that doesn't treat you. That doesn't catch your eye. But they put commercials in place that, man, makes me want to go out and buy a beer sometime. And think, let me, let me just try this right here. This looks so cool. You got, I, I've never done it. Calm down. But you act like you ain't wanted to, too. Those Super Bowl commercials that you watch, you think, man, I could, this, this looks fun. We could have a good time together. They know how to catch your eye. Just ask Eve if they know how to catch her eye. Just ask Eve if that looked good. If the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. That's what they, let's ask the prodigal son. There was something that the prodigal saw out there that he was willing to go to dad and say, why don't I take mine inheritance and go yonder right there? Because what's going on up there is better. Better than what's happening right here. There's times that people become so visual. Let's be honest. We don't have million dollar budgets at our bank account right now. Now I know we got a God that's got cattle with a thousand hills. I'm not diminishing his resources, okay? But I'm saying we walk in faith is what we do at times. You know what separates us from them? Is they can taste something here that they don't taste out there. There's something that unfolds here that they can reach out and they can grab it. And they can eat of it. You see, there was, there was a few, few Sundays ago, excuse me, a few weeks ago. We were in revival in Carlsbad. Band just come through. We did Sunday through Wednesday. We did revival. And on Wednesday night, it was the last night of revival. And we had, we had a great church. Had a great church, man. We had good moves of God and good attendance. And, man, you always think, you know, thankful when that happens. People show up and then you have good church. That's a great time. And 
On the last night, Wednesday night, there was two ladies that sat on the right side of the church. They come walking in. It was aunt and niece. And uh, the younger one's probably in her 40s. The other one is probably in her 60s. And I walked over before church. And you know, you do the thing where you greet the guests. And I greeted one of them had been there before, the niece. But the aunt hadn't been there before. And I walked over and said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Blah, blah, blah. Glad you're here. And I shook the hand. And that aunt looked at me, the elder lady. And she said, don't touch me. And I said, excuse me? And she said, don't touch me. And I said, okay. I'm glad you're here. And the niece said, yeah, we, we come. And she stopped in. And uh, she wanted to come to church with me. And she goes, are you the one that runs? And I thought she meant jogging. Like, I said, no, my wife runs. I said, I don't run. She runs. So you see me running. Stop and pick me up. Something's wrong. My, I don't run. And her niece said, no, no, she means around the church. And I said, oh, yeah, that's all me right there. I run around the church. That's my go-to praise. That's what I do. That's, that's me. I'm going to run. You know, you dance, you shout, jump up, down, whatever. I'm running. I love running. Yeah, I run. And she said, okay, don't touch me. And I said, okay, I'm not going to touch you. And her niece said, she's afraid you're going to touch her and she's going to fall on the floor is what she's afraid of. I started laughing. I said, that's not how that works, ma'am. I said, that's not. Her name was Sylvia. I said, that's not how that works. She goes, okay, but that's fine. But don't touch me. I said, I'm not going to touch you. She said this right here. She said, I've lost my faith in God. I said, I don't believe that. Because when she said it, a tear fell out of her eye. I said, I don't believe that. She goes, I have. I said, well... I said, I'm really glad you're here. We're so thankful that you're here. She said, don't touch me. I said, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to touch you. So, man, we have church, and we have one of those nights where we ran that night. It was Wednesday night blow-up church. I thought, they're going to think we're absolutely crazy. They come to see this. She had done heard about it. She come to see it. She, she wanted the show is what she wanted. We, we feel like they don't want to see what we do. We need to show them what we do. We need to show them we're not ashamed to sing the best songs and give the best praise. We're not ashamed to dance. We're not ashamed to shout. I'm not ashamed to help the preacher preach. I'm not ashamed to come to an altar. I believe God still heals. I believe God still delivers. I'm not ashamed of that when they walk through that back door we might as well give them the performance of a lifetime because we're lifting the one up that brought us out we're not ashamed of that we're not ashamed of that it was one of those nights where things were going crazy matter of fact he didn't even preach the last night of revival people running they're coming to an altar they're laying down on the ground here i told this woman you're not gonna fall out and be got people falling out everywhere i thought no wonder she thinks you don't touch her people laying out and in the middle of church she sends up this note right here i still got it in my bible in the middle of church one of the ladies walked up and said hey this lady over here wants me to tell you to pray for her kids and it's got her grandson's name on here jd and her son's name sean and i grabbed it and it was right in the the middle of things being hot and I said okay that's cool yeah so I put it in my pocket and set it down and I mean, we go up and have church and we go carry on and I uh I uh I step up at the pulpit and uh before dismiss I called their names I said hey we need to pray for these two these two young men right here they need a healing they need a touch of God I want you to pray for them we prayed for them I said call them out in prayer when you go home and go about your business that was Wednesday night Thursday morning we get up and we're driving to Lubbock and I get a phone call one of the saints in my church saying hey there's this I just got a weird call there's this guy in Lubbock he's needing clothes he went to see his son 
And I had a thousand things to do that day. We're getting ready for a conference that weekend. I said, okay, yeah, I can, I can go buy him clothes. Just let, let me know. Give, give me his information. Okay. So a few hours go by, and they call back and say, well, here's the thing. Um, the son is in state custody, and the dad's there just because he is having great big surgery. And, well, well I need you all of your information. I need you to send me your information. we got to get you a background check. And I was like, just to walk in and give him clothes? I'm just, I'll just drop him off the desk. Well, they, they won't even tell you who he is. They won't, they won't tell you nothing about it. I said, okay, well, here. I sent him a picture of my ID. I start sending all this information. Man, they call back later. Well, we haven't heard anything. But we're, at this point, I told my wife, I was like, this is really inconvenient. You know, just they keep taking too much time. I ain't going. I got all this stuff I've got to do. I've got all this stuff planned out. And at the end of that day, it was like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. I had to pick up our speaker that evening just an hour away. I said, man, they, they've run out of time is what they've done. The phone rang, and it was the CPS worker. And I answered, and she said, hey, Simon, thanks for doing this. This is so kind of you. Hey, I need you to just go up to room 205, drop this stuff off right here, and I need you to uh, just thank you so much and uh, have a great day. And I said, wait a second, wait, wait, wait a second. I said, what is, what is this kid's name? And she said, oh, his name is J.D. And I said, what? I said, is his dad's name Sean? She called the last name the same name that's right here. This woman sat in my church the night before and told me she didn't have faith in God anymore. This woman sat in my church the night before and said she had lost all hope in God. That she was just there to see what was going on. But when she showed up, there was more than just something to see. There was something she could taste. There was something that she could grab hold of. That's why the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we gather together, we're not just putting on a performance that gives you goosebumps. We're laying out a buffet for somebody to walk up and be able to eat thereof. I don't want to just see what God is doing. I want to taste what God is doing. I just don't want to see the hand of God. I want the hand of God to move in me. You see, there's a world that understands visual is getting them in trouble time and time again. Let's ask Eve if she appreciates the taste of that apple now. Let's ask the prodigal son if he found anything out there that filled him up. He knew right then and there, once he tasted here, I can go back to daddy's house and I can be fed better as a servant at daddy's house. Can I tell you the best tasting thing in your life is found right here in the house of God. You get it from the house of God. You come to an altar and find it in the presence of God. Over and over and over. You see, the punishment was you're going to see it, but you're not going to taste it. You're going to see it, but you're not going to taste it. But over and over and over again, it was God's plan for you to taste. Psalms 34 and 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalms 119, 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He was talking about the word of God. The writer of Hebrews said it like that. That heavenly gift that we have tasted.
tasted of. It was Luke 14, 24 when Jesus told the parable that he was bidding people to come. He said, the ones that I've bid, since they've come up with excuses, they won't taste of this supper. That invitation that they once got, they will no longer taste of that. Go to the highways and go to the hedges. Let's find somebody that wants to eat. God forbid we ever become a church that they walk through the back door and they can see the hand of God, but they can't get to the hand of God. God forbid they be a church that walks in here. We see joy move, but we don't taste joy. When I grew up in this church, preaching would drive me to an altar. I felt conviction. It was like I got a mouthful of it. It just, man, even if I didn't want it, I got it. When I come to this church growing up, on Sunday nights, you people would shout and dance and worship like you never have before. And you would think you would get tired of it. But you did it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We were a church that we didn't just talk about healing. We said you can taste healing. We were a church that didn't just talk about deliverance. We said you can taste deliverance. We were a church that didn't just talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You can get the baptism of the Holy Ghost right here punishment was you're going to see it but you're not going to be able to taste it I wonder I wonder if things would have been different in Numbers chapter 13 they come to the promised land Numbers 13 they come to the promised land the Lord tells Moses send some spies into the land I want you to send spies I want them to tell me are the people strong or weak is the land Good or bad? Are the dwellings tents or strongholds? Is the land fat or lean? Is there wood therein or not wood therein? And then he said, I want you to bring the fruit out. Bring the fruit out. So for 40 days, these old boys, 12 boys, walk through this land. They're looking at the mountains, and they're looking in the valleys, and they're looking at the rivers, and they're looking at the trees, and they're checking the land. That was their assignment. Let's inspect the people. Let's spend a few days watching the people. Man, I love people watching. Just sit down and just look at people. They sat for days and just looked at the people, and then they looked at the land, and then they counted the trees, and then they went to the fruit. When they got to the fruit section, the Bible says they brought back grapes, pomegranates, and figs, and they laid them down in front of the people. And then they said, the land's good. People are strong. And they began to give this report, deterring off of what they were supposed to do. They began to give this report. And right then and there, they talked everybody out of walking into the promised land. Except an old boy by the name of Caleb and Joshua. They said, wait a second. Caleb said, we can go right now and possess this land. I wonder, church family, if they would have brought enough fruit back for everyone to taste instead of just see. Because you see, when you watch something long, you can get tired of it. You can get bored with it. Visual gives you inspiration, but inspiration comes and goes. It's in and out, up and down, back and forth. It's not consistent. It's not going to stick with you. But if they would have brought 
fruit to them where they could taste it and say, hey, we can eat this every morning. We can eat this every night. We can have this whenever we want. They walked out of their entrance into the promised land and spent decades more walking through a wilderness because they saw the promise, but they did not taste the promise. Tasting is action on your part. I can't force feed you. He can't force feed you. That's why we need a response when we preach. That's why when we call altar, we need you to take a step of faith. We need you to say, hey, I believe what he preached tonight. And I think that sounds good. I don't want to just see God do it in their life. I want to taste it for myself. I want to experience it for myself. Is it possible? Is it possible we have too many people falling away because they think they know everything about it, but because they can describe it? They can describe it. They can tell you what it looks like. They can tell you how big it's supposed to be. The duration. Oh, I know about that church. Yeah, that church. Yeah, they sing lively music. He's the guy that wears the vest and preaches with the tie and the jacket. Real funny guy, imitates everybody. The church is really cool, fan-shaped. Yeah, I, I know. They can tell you the details. They got the rollers on the back door. And they got this many lights in the sanctuary. And they got a clock on the back wall so you don't preach too long. And man, they got this many pews and this many chairs. And there's some crazy people on the second row on this side with tons of kids. Man, they can tell you all the details. My siblings are laughing right now. That was you guys I'm talking about. You're the crazy kids. They can tell you all the details is what they can tell you. They can tell you everything. Well, this is how long. And this is how they dress. And this is what they believe. And this is how they act. And this and this and this and this. But when it comes down to tasting it. There was a famous atheist traveled the country. I can't remember his name right now. Famous atheist that traveled the country gave lectures everywhere he went. Drew thousands of people. One day an old boy stood up in the class and he had an apple. And he took a bite of the apple. And he said, sir, can you tell me what this apple tastes like? He didn't say, can you tell me what it looks like? He didn't say, can you tell me what kind of tree it come from? He didn't say, what is the color of this? What, what shape is this? He said, can you tell me what this tastes like? That old boy went to berating him. I don't know what that tastes like. I don't know what garden it come from, orchard it come from. I don't know what part of the country it come from. I don't know how long it's been sitting out. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Finally, that young man replied, that's exactly right, sir. Until you taste it for yourself, you have no idea what it tastes like. People make fun of your holiness. They make fun of the way you dress until they taste it for themselves. People make fun of the God that sits on the throne that's alive and well but until they taste it for themselves people make fun of you dragging your children to church every time the doors are open but until they taste it for themselves I have no greater joy than my babies walking in truth I want to tell you that things look good around here but they taste a whole lot better if you'll pick it up and start eating it every time the preacher preaches every time the word goes across the pulpit take it in digest it consume it that's for me that's what I need that's right where I'm at where I'm at
Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 3, there's a word that goes forth to Ezekiel. Son of man, a prophecy comes to pass. And he tells him, I need you to eat this roll. I need you to eat this book. I need you to eat these words. Why am I going to eat them? Well, because you're going to a people. They're not just stubborn. Man, they're hard-headed stubborn. He said, you're dealing with some of the most stubborn people that you've ever dealt with. But don't worry, Ezekiel, because I'm fixing to make you stubborn too. I'm going to give you a backbone like a crowbar. I'm going to harden your face. And those dirty looks they throw your way, you're not going to be dismayed by them. You're not going to be discouraged by them because you're going to eat these words that taste like honeycomb, the scripture said. When you digest this, some of you are so concerned what everybody else around you thinks. If you just start eating the word of God, you can get past the opinions of others. You can get beyond the viewpoints of others I don't want to be rude or ugly but your opinion of me means nothing today I stand on the word of God and I'm trying to make heaven my home somebody needs to eat the book when you eat it when you taste it when you begin to digest it when you become to consume it he said this is what's going to make you effective this is what's going to make you when you can start telling testimonies don't just tell them how the service goes. Tell them how you used to be an addict. Tell them how you used to be an alcoholic. Tell them how you used to be hooked on pornography. Tell them that you were an adulterer and an idolater. Tell them that you were consuming everything that you could consume from the world. Because the reality is what it looks like is going to run out at some point. They want to know, does it still taste good? Are you sticking around because it still tastes good? I'm sticking around because the mercies made new every single morning. They still taste good. When I stand in the presence with the body of Christ, it still tastes good. When the praise team leads me boldly into that throne room of grace, it still tastes good. It still tastes good. Can you believe we have people that see this taking place, but they're not eating it? He said, King of Israel, your right-hand advisor, you're going to watch this come to pass, but your mouth isn't ever going to taste it. You're going to see this revival. But you're not going to consume this revival. You're going to be able to describe every detail. Except what did it taste like? All because you had doubt. All because you trusted on the arm of flesh. Instead of that everlasting arm. All because you trusted in the words of men. Rather than the word of God. Church family I'm begging you tonight. If it's been a minute since you've tasted of this anointing. If it's been a minute since you've tasted of this good book. If it's been a minute since you've tasted of the power and the hand of God. Then don't walk out here wondering what it tastes like. There's room for everybody. There's enough for everybody. Don't just describe it. Don't just go out the back door and say they felt something and they felt something. Walk through that back door and say I felt it. I was filled. I was consumed. You would think this wouldn't be a problem today. But in John chapter 6, and I'm winding down. John chapter 6. 
Jesus begins to talk about the manna that fell from heaven in the Old Testament for them. And he tells them, I'm the bread of life that come from heaven. And you have to eat of this bread, is what he said. And in John chapter 6, the Bible says many of his disciples parted from him and walked no more with him. That is absolutely crazy. At this point, they had done seen miracles. At this point, they were eyewitnesses to the power of God robed in flesh. They could tell you details. They could tell you how he sounded. They could tell you facial expressions that he made. They could tell you his stride when he walked. They could tell you hand gestures that he made. They could give all these details about him. They'd already seen all that. We're not talking about some random city we went into. The Bible says they were disciples of him. His disciples. And he began to say, hey, if you're going to make it, that's going to be because you eat of this bread of life. They said, that, that's really hard. I liked being around it. And I liked the fellowship that I got. And the, the atmosphere feels really good. And I, I feel lighter in here. And I feel I got some relationships with some people right now. But... This, you're telling me I have to consume this. You're telling me I have to eat. I'm a really picky eater. I only eat at certain times. I, I work best on my schedule. You're telling me I've got to do this right now. Do you understand? Moses was never given the opportunity again to go into the promised land. Moses missed his chance. As a matter of fact, it was taken from him because he walked in rebellion. Moses missed it. He should have done it right then and there. He should have done it right then and there. Some of you, mercy is laying on this altar, but you have not received it because you've not ate of it. For some of you, there's anointings. There's direction in your life. You're searching for something, but, but, but you haven't found it yet because you haven't consumed it yet. Because you haven't picked it up. You haven't digested it yet. You haven't set it on your plate and said, this is for me. This is what I'm going to take. This is what I'm going to eat right now. The Bible gave your man of God a commandment. He told him to feed his sheep. When he stands here, the words that he delivers, they're not for your entertainment. They're your source of food. They're your nutrition. The only thing you're supposed to do with them you're not supposed to take them back home and juggle them around the house and wonder if he was in the word or out of the word when it comes across the pulpit you're supposed to eat it right then and there you're supposed to consume it right then and there this is the words of life but it's a hard saying and they walked away from it would you lift your hands in this house right now would you lift your hands in this house right now lift your voice for a moment I know it's Wednesday, I know, forgive me, but I believe the presence of the Lord is here tonight. I believe the power of God's in this place tonight. I believe if you need to feel something, if you need a taste of something, why don't you take a step of faith and stand to your feet right now, church family. Come on with your hands lifted. Why don't you lift your voice along with it? The power and the presence of God is here right now. I need some young people to step out. I need some married couples to step out. I need some elders to pull a chair up to this table right now and begin to partake in words of everlasting life. Begin to digest this.
darkness into your spirit. Allow God to move and work through you. We've got more than visual around here. We've got something that can change your life. You can taste it. It's not just a revival you're going to talk about. It's a revival you're going to taste. It's a revival that you're going to consume. It's a revival you're going to digest. Come on, church family. Come on, if you don't need it tonight, pray with somebody. Why don't you link up with somebody? The Lord's walking through this house. Come on, lift that voice right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The rich young ruler come to Jesus, and he could describe all the commandments. But he said, why don't you walk with me a little bit? He gave him an opportunity to taste something. He said, this is too hard. I can't do it. He gave him a moment right there, your moments right now. God wants you to take that step. God wants you to make that move right now. I'm tired of seeing everybody else get it. I want some of it right now. I'm tired of hearing everybody else talk about it. I'm going to partake right now. Restorations for me. Miracle signs and wonders, that's mine. Restoration in my marriage, in my children, that belongs to me. Come on, church family, tears are flowing. If you don't need this, link up with somebody. Come on, if you don't need it, pray with somebody. Don't let this moment leave us right now. Don't let this moment leave us right now.